0: Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com.
0: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Lauren. Mike. If you could have any job in the tech industry, what do you think it would be?
2: I think I would like to be an internal critic. I don't know if anyone would hire me to do this, but I would just like to be the person who says... You are not designing this for a real human being, or you need to treat both your users and your staff better.
0: The gadfly.
2: Yeah, the ombudsman. Is that how you say <laughs> the that? Ombudsman. umbudsman. <laughs> what would you be?
0: Um, I'd want to be the barista on like one of the swanky campuses mm-hmm. just so I could like chat with people all day and make them happy by giving them something that they want.
2: I would watch that sitcom. <laughs> Was there a character like that on HBO <laughs> Silicon Valley? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Oversight. Mm -hmm. Is there security in that job?
0: Oof, I don't know. The tech industry has been suffering a lot of layoffs lately. I don't know if there's any job security in the tech industry anymore.
2: Yeah, we should talk about this.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I am Wired's Director of Consumer Tech and Culture.
2: And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at WIRED.
0: We're also joined this week by WIRED senior writer, Paresh Dave visiting us from the business desk. Hello, Paresh. Hello. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you for having me. Of course. I think the first time
2: we had Paresh on, it took us, what, 11 months, before, as he pointed out, to bring him into studio. <laughs> and now there's no stopping it.
3: It's because I became your ombudsman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
2: Welcome back, ombudsman.
3: Today we are talking about
0: tech jobs in the first seven weeks of 2024 tech companies big and small have been laying off significant numbers of workers Amazon Google discord Duolingo Cisco Instacart dozens of others they all cut staff in January and February it all adds up to tens of thousands of jobs lost across the industry. Companies often conduct layoffs at the very end or the very beginning of the year, so these workforce reductions are not particularly out of step with historical patterns. But the cuts that started last month are not slowing down, and that feels off. So we're going to talk about why. Now, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about what it's like to interview for a tech job and how that typically strange experience is getting even stranger for job candidates. But first, let's talk about the layoffs. So, Paresh, I want to start with you. Um, You've been covering this along with our colleague, Amanda Hoover, on the business desk at Wired. And I want you to tell us, is there any end insight to the tech layoffs?
3: No, absolutely not. Google has said that they're going to continue sort of cuts throughout this year. Um, I think we can expect the same from Amazon and Meta and these other companies that are realizing that they're like you said, you know, generating just as much sales as before, they're doing great, profits are sort of skyrocketing, and they're still able to do this while they're sort of trimming staff. Um, and so they're realizing that they can get rid of projects that aren't as interesting, they can roll things out slower, um, and then I'm sure you'd wanna talk about uh, the AI and how it's, uh, <laughs> how it's uh, making workers supposedly more productive.
2: Can we just refer to the AI as Steve, like Rusty Foster <laughs> does in Today in Tabs? <laughs> just give it a persona. Um, before we get to AI, though, there's been this narrative that part of this is because during the pandemic, tech companies hired, their position might be that they overhired. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a backlash to that. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, the pandemic made everyone think that we'd spend the rest of our lives online and never go out into the real world again and never uh you know drop our phones and and stop looking at them of course that didn't prove true we've all returned to our normal lives we are spending a lot of time you know online but maybe not as much as these tech executives were thinking um but that's only part of it i mean the other um issue is that money was cheap during the pandemic um they were able to Borrow money at low interest rates, as interest rates have gone up. Companies can't do that as easily. Investors are demanding dividends. Meta, um, you know, just this month announced that it would be paying a dividend on its shares to investors for the first time. You know, that's profits um, that could have been, been reinvested in the company and gone towards hiring. But these companies are having to make different sort of decisions in this environment where money isn't cheap anymore. Which company is cutting the deepest? Well, I would say, irrespective of how big the cuts are, I think the company where the cuts have been most destructive is Google. Um, you know, Google, had until last year, hadn't gone through any sort of mass layoff before. And it's co- completely disrupted this culture um, where people thought that there was this safety, this sort of luxury of being in a tech job where they could sort of be there for the rest of their lives if they really wanted. Um, and Google, over the past Year plus has been cutting people who've been there for fifteen years, twenty years, Um, and it's you know really shocked people to their core. And I think that sort of flowed to to sort of other companies that are a little bit younger, like Meta and Amazon, that also felt just as sort of cushy. You could sort of stay there as long as you were doing a pretty decent job, Um, and that's distinct from let's say Microsoft, where. They've been doing sort of these cuts for that are performance-based, or IBM that have been doing these cuts that are performance-based sort of annually. And people were sort of used to, peop, uh, to workers coming and going. That just wasn't the case at a place like Google or, or Meta.
2: We should talk about Steve, <laughs> the AI. I'm wondering if AI is a part of this story because tech companies are using AI to do the jobs or make jobs more efficient that humans used to do. Or if it's because they just feel perhaps on an r and d level, they need to invest much more in those departments and shift focus away from other departments.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's it's both of those, and I think it's a third thing, which is AI and this sort of generative AI boom that we've seen over the year last year is sort of leading to companies throwing stuff against the wall and like wanting to like move quicker and and pivot. so it's it's that too. Um, On the first part of it, yes, I mean, I I spoke um, recently with a CEO of of sort of a large uh, software company where they said that their coders were able to write 30% more software code um, over the past year due to GitHub Copilot, which is this coding assistant um, that uses generative AI to help software engineers finish their code. And, um, I mean that, that seems like a a huge number. Um, and that productivity doesn't necessarily mean like layoffs. It just means that they're able to sort of build more tools and hopefully that will lead to more sales. And then if it leads to more sales, then they can go into more hiring. Um, but they're not letting go of those people because they want to keep building on the second part. Uh, I think, you know, you've seen how, companies have been trying to put these resources into developing Gemini, this new uh, chatbot, right? Uh, or nationally renamed chatbot from Google. Um, Meta has been putting things towards development of Llama and these other generative AI models. And so they've cut back from things like Google Assistant, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Which is odd considering that Assistant was like the first real you know, for Google anyway, one one of the first real sort of injections of AI into our world, right? Mm-hmm. This thing you could talk to and ask questions and was
2: disembodied it's, computer. So 2010s.
0: <laughs>
3: it is. <laughs> but part odds. of what they're cutting are the features that they realized users were not using that yeah. much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're being... I guess, more judicious in a way that they probably should have been earlier and saying, well, this uh, Google's whole thing and Meta's whole thing is like a thing needs to have hundreds of millions, you know, a billion users to be worthwhile for the revenue, you know, to matter to them. And they're just, they had let things maybe go on a little too long. Uh, But then, yeah, like I was saying, the the third piece to this is just that because they're so unsure about where the winds will blow and what users will be interested in and what their competitors are doing, things are just moving so fast that they want to kind of be lean enough to shift people around. And so you're seeing layers of management disappear at these companies, which is interesting. And you're seeing, uh, you know, maybe more contractors or contractors become even more fungible than they were already, which is kind of you know, awful for someone in that position.
0: Yeah.
2: Have labor unions or the attempts at building labor unions within these big companies had any effect on this?
3: Certainly, we've seen like the Alphabet Workers Union, which is sort of hundreds of members, maybe a little bit over a thousand now, um, which is a small drop in the bucket of Alphabets, you know, 180,000 employees around the world, um, certainly raise concerns about these layoffs, demand sort of more transparency. Demand more warnings, better severance. Um, you know, make sh- making sure it doesn't disproportionately affect minorities or um, you know people of color or women. But yeah, the workers don't have power right now. I mean, uh, there are just so many uh, laid off workers out there in the tech industry in places like Silicon Valley that workers just don't have a lot of power.
0: I think it's interesting that for a hot minute there was a trend on social media of people uh, live streaming or making TikTok videos of their layoff experience. Uh, Did you see any of those?
3: Yeah, you say it was a trend. I think it's very much still a trend. Um, Although, you know, I was looking on TikTok last night. um, It's hard to tell which ones are like real or not. Um, I feel like people are maybe staging some of these things for the views, but Yeah, I mean, it's really taken the stigma out of layoffs in a way that um, is probably healthy for society, maybe not healthy in the fact that we're going through so many, you know, job cuts, but... These um, these videos where people are like literally showing the Zoom call where they're being laid off or um, where they're talking about how they felt after finding out or, or what the circumstances were, like one person posted about finding out while they were on vacation. And I think it's just making it's creating this camaraderie, this community. You're not alone. It may not have anything to do with the fact of the fact of your performance or like this, you know, whether you're a good worker, or a good coder. Um, it can be totally random. It could be an algorithm choosing you. It could be a manager 10 levels above you who doesn't know you just choosing a name out of hat, whatever it is. And I think that's good. You know, it, it seems healthy that that we can sort of be more at peace and not think uh, our lives are ending because we got laid off. Mm.
2: So it's a way for some of these laid off workers to find community through the absurdity of TikTok.
3: Human faces. Or they're just trying to generate likes uh, and get some money out of that. Hashtag influencers.
0: (laughs) All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back.
1: This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever you get your podcasts. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game.
0: Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's
2: play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them.
0: We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it.
2: Click Here, stories about the
1: people making and breaking our digital world. AI machine satellite
3: engine ignition click here and lift off
1: click here every Tuesday and
3: Friday wherever you get your podcasts
0: by now you've probably heard plenty of stories about what the job interview process is like for big tech jobs candidates being asked to solve complex logic problems or do silly brain teasers or write code on the spot For a long time, these stories were pretty amusing, especially because you knew that on the other side of it lay a very high-paying engineering job. Tech workers are pampered, or they were anyway. But the mass layoffs that started in 2022 have now led to a glut of talent in the market. Jobs are harder to come by, and engineers in particular are being put through the gauntlet when they interview. Now, Lauren, you wrote a story for Wired this week about how the tech interview process has changed in light of these layoffs. Interviews have gotten absurd, but in a new way. What led you to this story?
2: I was starting to hear stories from tech workers and specifically engineers about how absurd, and that is the word that was used, these technical interviews were getting. Engineers are in kind of a unique position because, as you have pointed out, they tend to be extremely well paid. And that's usually right out the gate, right? It's one of those things where like people know that you, if you get an engineering job and you land at the right place, you could be fresh-faced out of school and you're starting with a six-figure salary and maybe some options too. But on the other hand, engineering interviews are interesting because they are so complex and technical. You are not only judged based on uh, behavioral interviews or problem solving, but also code this thing for me. Code it the way that I expect. Use this language and deliver it in this time frame. And what I was hearing from engineers is that that part of the job interview was getting particularly demanding. I spoke to one engineer who said that they received a take-home test that was going to require them to build an entire app in a short time frame and provide written documentation for how they built that app. Whereas in the past, it might have been here's a framework for an app, build a feature that would work within this app. I heard Mm. a similar story from another engineer who said that they were asked on the spot during a live coding test to build a to-do list app. Once again, not a feature, but build an entire app. Um, I've heard that in some instances, engineers have to study or prepare hours and hours. Or in one case, someone said they had to come up with about 100 pages of documentation uh, just to sort of power themselves through... The interview process. And then in other cases, it's just a multi-stage process with as many as you know six different interviews in addition to a technical test that just make it really difficult to carve out the time to land the new job that you want or need. Uh, and so I decided to just dive into it.
0: Right. So, I mean, engineers have always
3: had to take hairy tests like this, but these are just like extra, extra hairy. They sound like
2: things have gotten extra. That's a good (laughs) way to describe it.
3: Are people actually completing them, or are they saying in the middle when they're in the middle of the interview, when they're asked this on the spot, Peace, I'm out. Like, I'm not dealing with this.
2: Yeah, a lot of that is happening. The person I spoke to who said that they were asked to build uh, an entire app in a short time frame said about halfway through the process after a full day of coding and having not completed enough of the project said, I think this is a sign I'm withdrawing my application. Um, And that person has since shifted their job search to include smaller tech companies um, that they feel right off the bat could be a a better cultural fit. Um, And this is happening at big tech companies, but it's also happening across smaller tech companies as well. Because as you said, Parash, big tech companies now have the upper hand again. Uh, it's very clear that with all of these layoffs, there's a of talent in the market and employers now can be choosier on the startup side though, especially if they're lean and capital is hard to come by one startup CEO told me that if she only gets, you know, 10 to 14 hires for engineering to basically keep their entire product, you know, running, um, She's going to be really choosy about who she hires because that's a limited headcount. So it's happening on both ends of the spectrum.
0: Is that why expectations are so high of candidates? Because companies are being told to operate more leanly?
2: It's both that and it's both a cultural shift. Uh. I spoke to Laszlo Bock, who, Press, you might know from your years covering Google, but was the SVP of People Operations, aka hiring at Google, for about a decade, and he basically said, this, is a, this isn't a response to or an overcompensation for that idea of the coddled engineer. And particularly during the pandemic, when people were able to work from home, uh, maybe carve out a more flexible work schedule for themselves. And there is encouragement in recent years to kind of bring your whole self to work. And he said, this is in some ways a direct backlash to that. That employers are saying like, no, come to work come to the office and come ready to work and and work hard and once again that goes back to employers having the upper hand.
3: Hmm. But do these interviews is there proof, you know, from Laszlo or anyone that they actually lead to better engineers? Like, you know, where's where's the uh, the evidence behind these crazy interview questions? It's
2: a good it's a really good question and I wasn't able to uncover any evidence of that. What I did learn from talking to one source is that the bar for a technical interview has gotten measurably higher. I spoke to this woman named Aileen Lerner. She is an engineer herself who now runs a company called Interviewing.io. And this is, this is actually kind of an interesting company. They're an interview coaching platform for engineers, you sign If you're an engineer seeking a job, you sign up, you pay $225 or more per interviewing session, and you get paired with a mock interviewer who doesn't know who you are, um, doesn't even see you because these are not done over video, they're, they're done over audio. And this person administers a test to you and you get to practice. And then they give you a score at the end. And they're scoring you on all kinds of categories, but that includes your technical score. And what Aileen told me is that over the past two years, interviewing.io with all the thousands of interviews they have data from, they believe that interviewing for a technical job has gotten 22% more difficult, which means it has gotten that much more difficult to just receive a thumbs up on the technical portion of the interview. Because the mock interviewers are reflecting what is going on in the market. They're using a similar testing style or set of questions that, say, someone at Google or Meta would be using and that it's just gotten that much harder.
3: And it's not that workers have gotten worse worse in some way.
2: (laughs) Presumably, no. (laughs) That is not the case.
0: So one of the places that people are talking about this is on the app Blind. Is that right? Oh,
2: good old Blind. Yeah.
0: Tell everybody who maybe doesn't know what Blind is, what it is, and then, you know, tell us what the conversations are.
2: Blind is an anonymous app for workers, and as I said in the story, it's a place where the truth is elastic, but some clear trends emerge. Uh, If you're a journalist, you can be on Blind, too. Like We could go and post about our own company if we wanted to. So people are coming from companies across all sectors on Blind, but it's a good place to check out where people are talking about the tech companies. And workers on blind, engineers in particular, are talking about instances where this feels like the coding Olympics. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic, but just indicating that an interview process they'd been through was really difficult. They say, um, I went through many rounds of interviews at Meta, and it turns out at the end of the day, they didn't have a quote unquote team match for me, meaning they didn't have a team to put them on. They didn't even actually have have the headcount. So- People have been anonymously complaining about this as well. And if you look hard enough, you start to see some pretty consistent patterns. Hmm.
3: Do you think anything has changed with the non-technical portion of interviews?
2: That I'm not aware of. And it's probably worth noting that Aileen said that of the over 200,000 layoffs that have been tracked across the industry since 2022 that it's probably only tens of thousands of those jobs. She estimated 15,000 that were engineering jobs. So we know that the bulk of the layoffs have been across other job categories, like middle managers. Meta has been laying off a lot of middle managers, marketing, admin, support roles. Um, And I I don't know what those job interview processes are like, but I want to say just because of how many people it is, it's probably also challenging just to get your foot in the door at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, so at what point does an engineer show up for an interview at a tech company and just an AI just conducts the whole interview and then decides <laughs> whether or not they get the job?
2: Well, there is definitely AI screening happening at the point of application right now. In fact, uh, one of my former colleagues, Hilka Shulman, just wrote a whole book about this um, and she's been on the the book circuit talking about it. But um, I think what's interesting at least for this particular story, is how job candidates are using AI. Uh, I found a couple of TikTok and YouTube videos, although, (laughs) like Paresh said, it's hard to know how many of these are staged, just to illustrate a point and how many are real, Um, where people, engineering candidates, are doing a live coding test over video, and they're responding to questions based on what ChatGPT is spitting out for them so uh because it happens so fast now and those are both coding questions and something like the hiring manager saying uh can you tell me if java is single threaded or multi-threaded uh and like the person just through a live transcript has put that into ChatGPT gpt and chat gpt spits it out with an explanation of what that means and why <sighs> uh and so yeah it's pretty it's pretty amusing to see but um one of the things that this could actually prompt, no pun intended, is for the interview process to change. If the interviews really have become sort of similar and hiring managers are asking the same sets of questions and people know they're going to get some of the same tests, you can just, you can prepare or chat GPT your way into a completely rote interview. And then that's not really benefiting anyone. So all of these changes in the market could force, and one would hope, a slightly more creative and maybe more meaningful interviewing experience for workers.
3: Yeah, I fear of what we're seeing right now is just a pendulum swinging, you know, right in the, in the far, far direction on one side where it's these crazy questions, but we're going to come back slowly as they realize there's nothing to this and it's not leading to better hires.
2: Right, right. And hopefully it doesn't swing so far in the other direction again that we get the brain teasers of like, tell me how many windows are on office buildings in Manhattan <laughs> without Googling. Without <laughs> or whatever those. Ch- how many g- jelly beans are in the jar, right?
3: <laughs> Piano repair people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: All right. Well, thank you both for an invigorating conversation about the tech job market
3: of all things.
2: Sure. I don't feel super confident I will be hired as an ombudsman anytime soon.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with your barista applications, Michael. Thank you. Oat milk, sir?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Let's take another quick break and we'll come right back with our recommendations. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. you get to go first, what is your recommendation for us?
3: Well, since we've been talking about jobs, uh, I figured we'd talk about the workplace, and my recommendation is if you're aware of someone in your um, workplace who's disabled or has accessibility needs, maybe reach out to them uh, in the next couple of weeks and ask whether you're collaborating with them in the way that they prefer the most. Uh, it could be as something as simple as sharing presentations ahead of time uh, before you present them at, at over a Google Meet or Zoom or whatever. And uh allowing them time to either digest it so they can sort of focus on lip reading maybe during a meeting, or they can uh prepare their questions ahead of time and send them electronically, whatever it, it is. Um and I bring this up because we often sort of overlook people's needs, and I don't think uh this only applies to people with disabilities. I think you can reach out to all your coworkers. And sort of say, are we collaborating in the best way possible? Um, are we really sort of managing this relationship? And this seems like a good time to, to check on that. Um, and, you know, it is Black History Month, you know, especially check in on your people of color colleagues uh, and people who you just might not always interact with um, and but do occasionally and sort of see how can we sort of have a better working relationship.
2: That is an excellent recommendation. Yeah, it's very
3: good advice. Really thoughtful. I don't know if it's more practical or philosophical, but um, you can make it a little bit of both.
2: I mean, much better than Galad's sliced lemons.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: We do prefer the recommendations that straddle the line between practical and philosophical. So thank you for that. Lauren, what is your recommendation?
2: I was going to recommend a John Lacari podcast, which is not a podcast featuring the now late John Lacari, but a podcast with his biographer that was really good. I'm going to save that for another week uh, for the John Lacari fans out there. Um I'm going to recommend a documentary that I recently watched called Eternal Memory. It's um, it was Oscar nominated in 2023. It's fair warning, very sad. It's about a couple of um, facing Alzheimer's disease, one half of the couple has Alzheimer's, and his wife is, who's a little bit younger than him, is trying to support him through it. Um, the male character in it, Augusto, um, is really interesting because he was a journalist. And he was kind of a force during the Chilean dictatorship in the 70s and 90s. Once uh, traditional media was sort of taken over by the government, he was finding all of these ways to get the word out about what was happening. He was a really passionate journalist. And he is now the one who is suffering cognitive decline. And the documentary really gets inside their home. Part of it takes place during the pandemic and inside their lives and inside their relationship, which is very touching. And it's, so it's a little bit about personal memory and the decline of personal memory, but also about shared cultural memory in a way that I found to be, um, yeah, really, really, just really touching. So I recommend checking that out if you're in the mood for a tearjerker. I was watching it as part of another story I'm doing for Wired, which will come out shortly.
0: Awesome. Eternal Memory.
2: Eternal Memory. Yep, you can watch it. I watched it on Amazon Prime.
0: Okay. So it's like rentable
2: it is rentable okay Yep, it is mike what's your recommendation
0: um i'm back on my bs as you would say uh, i'm <laughs> going to recommend uh, a piece of music uh the new ty siegel record
2: tell us about this
0: okay ty siegel ty this is a nice
2: palate cleanser by the way after fresh and i both gave very serious recommendations
0: mine is also very serious okay um ty ty siegel s-e-g-a-l-l look him up um He's a rock guy. He's a rock and roller. He plays guitar. He sings. His songs are a little bit on the heavy side, but they have a dash of sweetness and a very strong, weird streak, which I love and appreciate. Ty is extremely prolific. He lives in Los Angeles. He used to live in San Francisco. He's from the same part of the world that I am in Southern California, so I've been following his career for a while. And this album just came out, and he just launched a tour behind it. It's called Three Bells, and it has sort of a new band um, playing with him on stage. I saw the show last night. It was the first stop here in SF, and he's going all around the US, and then he's going to Europe in the summer. So if you listen to it and you like it, check him out live, because my God, what a show. (laughs) It was just... I was floored for like an hour and a half. It was really amazing. Um, yeah. Lots and lots of guitar. Lots. So if you're like a guitar person and you like your music to have a lot of like good guitar playing in it, not like show offy guitar playing, but just like good, powerful, emotionally charged guitar playing, then like you should be listening to Ty Siegel.
3: It sounds like a nice thing to listen to after a uh, crazy job interview.
0: Yes. <laughs> Yes, or to let off some steam if you perhaps maybe have recently lost your job or if you're <laughs> or if you fed up with the interview process. Yeah, it's very cathartic. Ty Siegel, Three Bells, Drag City Records, uh, double vinyl LP if you're a, a vinyl person. So yeah, check it out. This bring is
2: so on brand. I really appreciate plugs. it.
0: Absolutely bring earplugs. Dude cranks those guitar amps and you will feel it if you're anywhere within 50 feet of the stage bring earplugs
2: you said ty grew up near you did he also surf doho
0: um yeah yeah really? I, i'm sure i mean yeah i'm sure he's from he's from south orange county so yeah probably <laughs> he's way younger than me but yeah probably surfed the same <laughs> same waves rode the same waves growing up
3: i didn't know you were from south orange
2: county
0: yeah i'm from laguna dana Point.
2: He was on Laguna Beach, the show. You don't
3: know? (laughs) I was
0: not. (laughs) Your your cliffs are falling. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. The part of the world is suffering right now. Uh, So my heart goes out to all them brethren in the OC. All right. That's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is our show. Paresh, thank you, as always, for joining us.
3: Appreciate it. I'll be uh, sending some critical uh, feedback uh, in the coming weeks. <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> awesome. and look forward to it.
0: Say hello to your your lovely dog Kazu for us. Of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can skeet all of us on Blue Sky. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back with a new show next week. And until then, goodbye. And thanks to all of you for listening to the show. If you have feedbacks, you can... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love
2: those feedbacks. What is I love those sweet baby Ray's feedbacks. What is happening?
0: <laughs> Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R- in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better H E L P.com.